Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Firewalls alarm set off as restaurant owner Galfiadre brings suspected Titan technology to Extropia. Join Sentinel and Cell, played by Adam, Sentinel and Jarl, played by Slavek, and Tillman as the Game Master on an infiltration mission to secure the dangerous object in this Eclipse Phase 2nd Edition nano-op called Grinder. Please follow Twin Cities by Night on social media and join our Discord chat. If you'd like to support us financially, you can also find us on Patreon. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to an Eclipse Phase nano-op. This is Grinder, one of the introductory scenarios that they released with the 2nd Edition book. Today I have Adam here playing Eclipse Phase for the first time. Yeah, real excited about this. And as a sidekick, Slavik will join him. The game takes place on Extropia. That's the setting we already established in the black spot. But I'm going to give a brief introduction again. Extropia is built into a hollowed out asteroid uh, in the main belt. The main belt separates the inner system closer to the sun from the outer system. In many ways, it aligns more with the outer system. It's considered an autonomous habitat, or it considers itself an autonomous habitat. Many of the outer system folks actually want nothing to do with Extropian folks. The problem being, Extropia is an anarcho-capitalist or maybe libertarian society, and the outer system really kind of rejects capitalism usually. So that actually aligns Extropia much more with the inner system where old economy and capitalism still rule. Being a highly competitive environment, it houses some of the most daring and inventive people, really, constantly trying to one-up each other. One rarely makes it on Extropia. Even like the really successful people kind of burn out or get like thrown over really quickly or backstabbed by someone who wants to take their place. And the whole society works on just a handful of basic principles. Everything else is contract law. So you have individuals or groups engaging in mutual contracts. This yields the interesting result that like private security and contract law professionals are very sought after. And Adam, your character, Lee or Cell, works in that field. You're a private investigator. Your job is usually to like infiltrate groups, uh, surveillance, and really just keeping an eye on people and finding breaks of contract for other people. It's kind of shady work sometimes, but, well, it's the only way Extropia really functions. You made some quick success, but maybe with the wrong crowd, you feel. You had your initial customers from like the seedier side of things. The problem being criminals on Extropia are actually kind of rare because people who are considered criminals uh, in the inner system may be fine upstanding citizens on Extropia. You see, they form their own subculture and in their own subculture, they have their own code of conduct and engage in contracts. And as long as everyone agrees to the rules, it's usually fine. But you found you had like a lock-in experience and you wanted to get out and branch out maybe. And there was a helping hand. You had a new customer 
by the name of Waters, and immediately he struck you as very different to the criminals or, well, simple people you were around before. And they were always like trying to bring that new designer drug to the market or trying to steal the new morph design and like undercut other people with prices. Was always making a quick deal and being the first to market and just being quicker and backstabby. Waters seem to be concerned with very different things. He's concerned with security. He only ever gives you his his like nickname. You have never met him in the physical world, only ever in simul space. And he usually portrays as male there, but that's really the only things you know about him in the beginning. But you get the feeling he like knows people. He knows the movers and shakers of Extropia. He's informed about events going on and he gives you jobs portraying you as a security guard along with another one working for him, a legitimate security guard called Sava. But you are there undercover just trying to find out who's who, who's making deals with whom, what's happening in society. And you find you're actually quite good at it. And over time, you build a relationship with this Waters guy and he trusts you enough to like confide in you. He works for a secret organization called Firewall that came together after the fall to prevent something like it from ever happening again. He's what's known as a proxy, someone in the background who coordinates sentinels, the people in the field. And he wants you to join them and be one of those sentinels, like Sava, the one you work with occasionally. Right, so you are in your simul space office. Extropia, like most other habitats, is very crowded. Physical space is quite the luxury. You want to work towards this luxury. But uh, right now, you have full freedom, at least over your virtual presence. So why don't you explain us how would Lee or Cell appear in this virtual office? So this virtual space basically resembles the nicest Chinese restaurant you could possibly imagine. She's sitting on this pillar that is in the middle of this koi pond, and there's all sorts of beautiful fish that are swimming, circling around her. She very much has like this very tranquil atmosphere, relaxing music, maybe the sound of harps. And there's a lot of gold ornaments and like fine architecture that has a very, like I want to say Asian flair it it does look like a place where people would eat. There's tables around. It's maybe based off of a memory or a idea that she's just kind of gone away with. Right. As you're sitting there, just relaxing, you're not really expecting clients right now. Just leaning back a little bit, enjoying, well, what you created for yourself right now. Just the atmosphere, the gurgle of the water. The soft breeze uh, plays with the paper lanterns uh, on the balcony of the uh, restaurant in the background. You hear a voice behind you. Cell will come talk to me. It's urgent. Cell will kind of just snap to. She's a little bit caught off guard by this voice behind her. And she'll try to just turn around as quickly as possible. The pillar that she's sitting on, it's just very much just like a horizontal pillar. So she's 
trying to be mindful to not fall off of it into the into the water, which isn't deep, maybe just up to the ankles. But, you know, even so, she doesn't want to fall in, even though it's not real water. It's just it's just more of a reaction. And she'll turn to face the voice. Yeah, behind you, you see someone who would fit right in with this atmosphere. You probably take him as like a waiter, a short man, Chinese features. He wears black pants, a very long, like linen cloth shirt, white. It doesn't have a collar, only a few buttons on the top. And then it's just pure cloth. It isn't completely separated. His very short black hair, somewhat of a rounded, flat face that is made even more obvious by him wearing like perfectly circular glasses. And you know that this is the appearance of waters, your contact with firewall usually. And he like waves you over to the desk area in front of the restaurant, like the outside desks. Please come sit with me. I step down off the pillar and I, I go to where he's motioning for me to sit. And this is probably where we usually have these sorts of talks and conduct these sorts of, you know, have these sorts of conversations. We usually just like sit at the same table or whatever. So I know exactly what's what's about to, I know exactly where I'm about to go and where he's about to go. And we're just going to go like hash it out. As you get closer though, you can see a look of concern on his face. And that's new. You always take waters at someone who's recollected. And right now he seems to be in like some sense of urgency, like he is sitting down already and he like materialized, you know, like a tablet to show you some stuff on this being similar space. Uh, there's some level of control over things around you. So he says, look, I'm, I'm really sorry that I'm just like watching here and uh, asking you for your time right now, but it's really important. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can set it up here. He plays back a short clip, like a video clip, and you see the backside of a person, a woman with very like colorful hair. It's mostly black, but it has like these really striking highlights, light blue and purple. And she's holding a blue container, maybe the size of like a basketball. And she opens it up quickly, closes it again, And then the clip stopped. That's it. This was uh, given to me by an informant of mine. It doesn't look like much, but what she did right there, this person, is very important right now because it's the only reason I'm alarmed, really, and it's good that I'm alarmed. As she opened that container, one of our uh, sensors went off. Inside there's some sort of Titan technology that could be immensely dangerous, and I need you to find it. Look, this... This woman right here, this is Galfiadre. She's a restaurant owner here in Extropia. And she always has these, these trips with a shuttle to like traveling salespeople. She's always looking for like exotic ingredients from all over the solar system. And we wouldn't have noticed really if she, if she didn't open that box. And now we have very little time. Um, I'm fairly certain she's bringing it into a restaurant as we speak. And she's probably going to do something with it and serving some kind of food based on it. I don't know. Maybe it's some sort of device she thinks is going to help her with her cooking. I really can't tell, but I need you to like get in there and grab it and destroy it if you can, you know? 
I don't, uh, I can't say what it's going to do, but I really think it's going to be very bad. Cell will just be sitting there. She kind of scratches her head and she's silent for a moment. How do we know that this box is so important? What's caused it to come to your attention? Why do you look so worried right now? What's going to happen to me when I, when I do what you ask? Okay. Yeah. Um, we have, we have people with these traveling sales folks. I have an informant there and he usually scans all the stuff that is uh, going through there because much of it is like kind of sketchy. Sometimes stuff turns up from like the Titan quarantine zone on Mars or maybe the quarantine zone around New Mumbai on Luna or wherever, some remote location that people haven't visited since the fall. And we have sensors in place that pick up on like Titan technology. And one of our sensors kicked off and alarmed us. And it didn't, it didn't alert us earlier because this thing was sealed up in this box. But she opened it that one time. And then we noticed, but now she's already on her ba- way back here. Okay. All right. Lee is very nervous. This sounds important. It sounds like a big deal. But she knows she doesn't really have any other choice but to help because she's kind of in this position where they they kind of have her, you know. So she's, okay, whatever you need. Here's the thing. You will we'll be working mostly alone this time. Uh, Sava isn't here right now. Honestly, I can't reach her. I, I have no idea where the fuck she is right now. I've arranged some things that will help you. We have a couple of things that work in our favor. This Galfriadre, she's so, I don't know, she's so terrified of the idea that someone will steal her recipes or her methods that she only employs herself. She has multiple copies of herself working at her restaurant at all times. And she always uses the same morph. And her being somewhat famous in the scene, I got a copy of that morph, like a clone on the bootleg market. I will need you to sleeve into that morph so you can get into a restaurant, hopefully undetected. Look, don't take this the wrong way. But since this is so important, I'm going to team you up with someone who is much better than you in like information security. Well, that's a relief. I'm kind of worried. I'm just supposed to go in as a copy of this woman and expect to blend in with the other copies? Seems like kind of a long shot, if you ask me. It is a long shot, but it's the only, it's a Hail Mary, honestly. It's the only chance we have right now to get this blue container. All right. Look, I trust you, but I I need to stress how important it is that you actually get this done by any means necessary. If you get arrested after the fact, no problem. I bail you out, whatever. And anything else, I, I will make sure that no harm comes to you after the fact. Just get it done. Won't be an issue. I'm on it, boss. And she puts her hand out to, to shake. She's trying to feign confidence right now. He seems to be reassured at least somewhat, or just accept, accepting the fact that things are set in motion at least. Shakes your hand. And I think with that, we can say simul space dissolves. You're probably not... Well, gullible or stupid. <laughs> so you don't send uh, your main self to sleeve into that morph. Instead, you probably send an alpha fork. Basically, you make an exact copy of your ego. 
in many places this is restricted or illegal, but you know it's extropia. So who cares? You have a hard time telling how much time passes over sleeving into a morph because there's like a period where your ego goes basically into sleep mode and the morph then wakes up. And as you awaken, you find yourself in a very small room, really not much of a room to speak of. It's, it's like a changing closet or room in, in a clothes shop. And sleeping morphs is honestly nothing more than that. You could, if you wanted to, change them on a daily basis. You're strapped to the wall. This being a microgravity environment, extropia, I mean, you're constantly floating around as if you are underwater. So I come to, this is basically just a matter of I leave simul space and I wake up in this new morph, basically. It's just like that kind of a quick process. Yeah. I'm leaving out like details where you're like hooking up the connection over the mesh network. But yeah, you're sending yourself into this body. So I just come to and there's, of course, that second where I'm just looking at myself, trying to gauge this new body and this new morph that I'm inhabiting right now. And just, I mean, I'm strapped down right now, so I can't really use my movement to try to try it out and get acclimated, but I'm just trying to like visually get accustomed to the new body I'm in right now. Yeah. Why don't you give me two dice rolls? In fact, the first is an integration test. You're trying to find how well you adapt to your, to a new morph. And that's a somatics times three. So on your character sheet, you have your base score for somatics. That's an aptitude. Your base score is 15, and you want to roll against your check value next to that, which is 45. So give me 1d100, please. You want to get under your 45 there. Yeah, 94. That's a no-go for me. Right. So that would actually be a superior failure. Normally, that would mean you get minus 10 on like every roll for this day. I'm not going to do that because you're the only player with a morph right now and it's going to suck back time. But for your role-playing, uh, you can re uh, just remind yourself, this sucks. Like you, you really hate this new body. It's not, uh, you're not adapting to it well. So I get like a body shock kind of where I'm just like, oh, like this. And it just like, it, it yeah, doesn't every, feel right. Everything is like stiff. Your, uh, your limbs feel like they're in the wrong place. You have the wrong height. You feel everything just is kind of off. Give me a second uh, check now. And that's a stress test. You want to roll your willpower times three. So that's a 40 for you. And by the way, yeah, uh, 40 is the correct value. Normally you would have 30, but you have a bonus and the total is 40. So that's going to be a 93 for me. God, why are you rolling so badly? <laughs> Let's just get these bad ones out of the way right now. Okay. So this whole situation like sucks. Like uh, Everything Waters has told you and now this shitty morph, like you feel so unprepared. It's just stressing you out big time. Give me another roll, 1d6 this time. And that's uh, your stress that you take. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> That'll be a six. Great. 
So like what does stress come off of? Is that it doesn't come off, you accumulate it. So under your next to your aptitudes, under your mind stats, you have stress taken. The problem is it's over your trauma threshold. So you would in fact take a trauma in the first scene of the game. Let's do it. It's a very unforgiving uh, system here. Trauma can have a variety of effects. You could react with disorientation or you could uh, react with acute stress effects. Like for example, fighting the source of trauma, which is difficult if it's your new body or maybe like fleeing the scene or uh, being catatonic. I think being catatonic would be a poor choice. I would say let's go with disorientation. I think Cell knows that as bad as this sucks, there's kind of no way out of this morph in the situation. She kind of has to see it through. So even if it feels like she has like motion sickness or whatever the fuck is going on, she's just going to have to try to roll with it. And hopefully, hopefully this works out. But she is feeling stressed. She is feeling like, holy shit, this could, shit could hit the fan because of this, you know? Again, by the way, that would give you a negative to all dice rolls. I don't want to do that because it would ruin your entire game. So we're not doing the cumulative effects until like maybe the end. Let's go back into the scene. then. So you're still strapped to the wall. You're fighting with your own body. You're trying to move your arms to like the release of the straps, but you find you have like not the power to do so. You have a hard time coordinating all your limbs. It feels like there's too many of them maybe. So you just kind of give up and look down at yourself. You seem to be in like a paper-thin overwall, just like a protective cover for morphs. You're not even wearing clothing. You see that beside you there is a a container with a glass door in it, and behind it is the clothing that you really would like to wear right now to cover yourself up. You can't reach it. And you look up and there's... There's like a large mirror in this room and you take in, well, your looks, your appearance. Your skin is very pale and you appear to be female. So that's a plus at least. Your nose is small, but pointed. You have these really strong, dark brows and large eyes that you have a hard time adjusting to. Honestly, you feel like the person in the mirror must be like insane. And she's so wild eyed and obsessed and unashamed of like looking at you your hair goes down to your neck it's black but it has these blue and purple highlights there's something really weird in this room Uh, there's a smell like lingering in the air of like tropical fruit mangoes and pineapple maybe but also like musky like old basement looking around the room more you know there's there's an exit there's no windows the exit is just covered up with like a curtain. It's really like a changing room. This is all pretty shocking to take in. She's going to just try to calm herself down for a moment and try to figure out how she's going to get out of these restraints. I think she's realized by now that struggling and fighting is not going to get any good results. So she's trying to calm down, take a step back, she does. She hates the look of this morph that she's in right now. It's scary to her. This environment is scary as well. It's like this woman looks like a witch or something, the way that her eyes in the mirror are glancing back at her. And there's just this feeling of like a 
body dysmorphia or just, just waking up as somebody else and not liking the results. So she's just trying to center herself and, okay, let's see. How do I, how do I get out of this? <clears throat> if I may. Oh, shit. Like, she's caught off guard by that, I don't know, is it like a inner voice kind of type of thing? Yeah. Would she just, like okay. in your head. I would say, Nyal, you have, you have the choice to appear in, like, cells uh, and object display. So if you want, uh, you can give like visual feedback in in the inner eye right do i also have access maybe like make her see like say an arrow or something like that sure i think like, you would go be this able to create any kind of augmented reality right. illusion right right that's why i went yeah if i could augment reality i get like yes, a I'm... user interface now uh <laughs> well normally you'd get a news well, slave, essentially, but, you know, since, you know, shit for all for InfoSec, you get me. Name's Nyal. I'll be w working with you on this job. And the way I'm reading your vital signs, this is going swimmingly. Hey, stop. This is going to be just fine, all right? You're not helping. Well, fortunately for you, I'm not here to be your mental support. I Look, wouldn't really know about human psychology anyway. How do I get out of this mess? And she's looking at the binding. Uh, do I know, doctor? Honestly, with some focus, I would say you can actually release the straps. It's just the shock of the, uh, of the resleeving just overwhelmed you. But you don't need to make a roll. You can release yourself from there. So I focus. And then I finally... When I break free, am I kind of just floating after that? Or do I like fall to the ground hard? What happens? No, you float. You're weightless. In fact, tumbling away from the wall, you notice another peculiar feature about your new body. You have prehensile feet. It's not too uncommon, but still kind of weird. Um, it was a thing that the early space colonists used in weightlessness a lot. Uh, you don't need feet in in microgravity or in like no gravity at all, really. So they replaced feet with an extra set of hands. You notice when you think you're moving your big toe, you're moving a new thumb around, you could grab things with your feet. Uh, your hips jut out at a weird angle and you find you can move your legs much more freely than you're used to, almost like they're an extra set of arms. So... So Cell will break free from the restraints and then she kind of just kicks off of the wall and she just swims forward to the other side of the room trying to get close to where the clothes are. And she's just taking in this new mobility that she has with her legs. And she'll maybe just instinctively use her foot to grab something, maybe using her arms to grab something too and just enjoying that sensation of... or probably not enjoying i should say experiencing that sensation of having three arms in this moment you know using one leg to kind of like center herself or keep balance and then using two arms and a leg and foot to try to like uh grab clothing or whatever yeah imagine you are aware of the upsides but you have a hard time like applying them 
So you need to hold on uh, to a wall at all times, really. Otherwise, you will be like slowly spinning constantly. So it's definitely a help to have like an extra set of hands, but it takes some getting used to right now. But you open up that compartment and out drops, well, pretty much everything you have in your uh, gear list. You have a set of smart clothing. This is basically clothing that changes shape. It's programmable if you want. But uh, it has a preset right now that's already active. And apparently this is like a a chef's suit. It's completely black except for like a decorative white seam. You find it covers you very well. You are able to cover your light armor under there. You're able to like conceal your your firearm. I'm going to say, by the way, that you have two magazines if they're going to be relevant. Is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? That's a gun in my pocket. Sure, sure. And I turn myself into an AR version of a raven just flying around. So once the clothes are on, and Lee is, of course, sticking to the preset. She's not trying to alter that in any way. She'll take a second look at herself, and then she's looking at the curtain to where you can go into the next room, suppose like where she thinks you could probably go into the next room. And she's just like, all right. Is there and um just out of character really quick, I'm able to communicate to Neil like mentally, like I don't have to like vocalize like something that would be like heard out loud or anything, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay, all right. So Lee is just getting ready to continue through that curtain, but she's not really sure what's going to be on the other side. She's starting to get into that spy mode, that deep cover mode. As you take one last glance over everything, look in the mirror, make sure everything's set and all right. You're trying to center yourself. There's that weird smell again of like tropical fruit and it, uh, it seems like you have it on your hands and you like stick your nose uh, under your uh, new smart clothing and you feel like it's like emanating from every crevice. We will start to smell her hands. You know, what is this? It smells like bananas or something. And how uncommon is this smell like for extropians? They still like know what tropical fruit is or is that just a distant memory at this point kind of? Well, you can always run on XP, so uh, they probably know. And a lot of them like have biomorphs, so they probably can like grow it in labs. But I'm going to run the smell by the mesh. I assume that's possible because Eclipse face. <laughs> you do the AGI thing. This smell is related to pineapple, mango, <laughs> banana, <laughs> guava. Yeah. And you give like the Wikipedia articles. Uh no, I'm just going to say, looks like you got a tropical cocktail on your hands. As you concentrate on the smell, you find that the exotic fruits slowly change to like sour cherry and almonds, maybe, and like, like a spice, something woody, cinnamon, maybe. And you come to the realization, this fucking morph has some scent alteration uh, going on. So like the scents are coming from me? Or yeah, exactly. Oh, like fer- like a pheromone or something like that. It's just like coming off of me. Yep. Wow. You're producing your own perfume. Quite nice, actually. Lee will kind of take it in, appreciating how it 
kind of evolves and changes into different sense. It's maybe the only thing about this morph that she likes so far. So you said you're getting into spy mode. What does that mean for Lee? Basically, Lee considers herself to be kind of like a street rat type person. She feels that she knows extropia really well. She knows the underbelly type of things, and she feels good at being deceptive. So the type of thing that she does with Firewall, she likes to view it as her being like a spy, her just using her natural skills, which are blending in, which are deception in her eyes. So she tries to build it up in her head as this deep cover, Cold War spy type thing where she she's jumped into this new persona. And it's quite literally a new persona because it's just a completely different body. So she's she always looks at it as an opportunity to do what she's best at and try to be somebody else, try to pull one over on somebody else. So you are all set, as set as you can be in this situation right now. And you find you have like the information that Waters has given you in the simul space, you have that with you. You transported that with you into this new morph along with your ego. So you know you need to make it to the restaurant of Gelfiadre. It's called Grind. And it's in a part of Extropia, which is full of restaurants. They call it the noodle. It's just like this area for like fancy people with lots of money to throw around. It's kind of an art form right now. You know, art is kind of in a weird situation in the world you live in because, well, everything is digital, really. Physical things have kind of lost in value, except maybe morphs. So physical art is in a weird position where only like really rich folks care about it. So where are we going, boss? Well, I say we try to make it to the restaurant. Say, what do you think is the best way to get there? Well, I don't really hang out in physical space like at all. You know, I'm more of a infomorph type of bird, fly free among the gnat mesh. But I guess we can get a cab or something. Of course, I knew that. And at this point, Lee has walked through this curtain out of the room that she was in. And where am I now? Like, what do I see around me? Basically, some sort of hallway. You see various other rooms just like yours around you, some open, some closed. And you get a message from what appears to be like an artificial intelligence management software thank you for your purchase and it gives you like a uh, an invoice and it says it's prepaid you rented a morph and a sleeving service and in the end it says please recommend our service uh, on the social networks and etc etc have a nice day you don't really see any any people around you assume there's probably like staff on standby but this is just an automated facility for sleeving and resleeving. So this is the kind of place where you get sleeved into your morph and then you just walk out of here in your new morph, basically. Essentially. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just going to be just casually walking out of the building and I'm talking to Nial the whole time. And I'm just like, all right, so we'll get a cab, make our way up to the noodle. Yep, I'll leave the social hacking to you. Lee will crack her knuckles. If you enjoyed this game of Eclipse Phase, make sure to check out our other Eclipse Phase one-shots. 
We have several listed now and more to come soon.